Gentlemen, Rob Port here on the Rob Report on WDAY. Your local call-in number is 701-293-9000. 888-970-9329. That's a toll-free number. You can email talk at WDAY.com or tweet me at Rob Port. A little bit uh, later in the program, 1.30, we're going to have on uh, Defense Attorney Brian Toy. You may have noticed there was a forum report about some a, a situation that has arisen with North Dakota's laws regarding drug overdoses. We have what's called a, a shield law, I guess you could call it, an immunity law. Some have called it a good Samaritan law which essentially says that if you are suffering from a drug overdose or you have a friend suffering from a drug overdose and you help them or or you go to get medical care, you help them get medical care, that you are immune from prosecution. So, like, if you've been using illegal drugs and during that there's an overdose or some sort of a, a medical complication and you go to the hospital to seek care, you're immune. They can't bust you for being high or whatever. You know, the idea being that it's much more important to save lives than it is to get drug convictions. And I am I am 100% in favor of the law. The problem is there's some loopholes with the law. And so we're going to talk with Defense Attorney Brian Toy. He had a re- recent situation. He represented, I think, two defendants who helped somebody get medical care. They ended up being arrested and charged in federal court where the state law doesn't apply. So we'll talk with him about that and get the download because I, I think there's some tweaks in the law but it's hard to know what the state can do if the federal government's just going to prosecute those cases anyway uh that's a tough situation so uh all that uh coming up here at 1 30 uh, plus your phone calls and and all that stuff uh by the way after the uh, show yesterday natil uh, we actually i i had somebody get in touch it got it actually friends of my wife got in touch uh with the whole playboy thing Getting a, just getting a random subscription to Playboy in the mail. It turns out it happened to them as well. Oh, so you're not the only one, uh, even in your circle of friends. I am not the only one that this has happened to. <laughs> so that makes me feel better, you know, because I'm starting to feel, I, I was starting to wonder what, what strange matrix of, of marketing, you know, data points did I strike to end up getting a subscription to Playboy. What box did you leave unchecked on a pizza delivery? Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Uh, okay, the other thing I wanted to talk about, uh, my colleague, Mike McFeely, had a column in the newspapers. Uh, well, it was online yesterday. I guess I don't know when it was in print. Um, regarding the state's budget situation. Now, we are obviously entering the second half of the legislative session. 
We have a new budget forecast that is, I think it's March 9th is the date it's out. I could be wrong. Early March, soon, within like a week or so. Uh, We're going to have a new budget forecast out. And, you know, then the budgeting situation is going to begin in earnest. You know, things have been pretty smooth so far. But once they really get down to sharpening their pencils in that budget, I think things are going to get a little ugly. Um, Because obviously there's all sorts of different people who have different priorities and different ideas about what what ought to happen in terms of the budget. And uh, let's face it, a basic truth about government is that spending growth is easy. Uh, Spending cuts are very, very hard, you know, particularly when, you know, the people whose budgets are getting cuts, you know, typically, you know, maybe this is a cynical thing of me to say, but I, I firmly believe that because they don't want smaller budgets, you know, they'll often exaggerate the impacts of cuts or, you know, the, the cuts that they put on the chopping block will be the most painful sort of cuts, right? It's a way to sort of resist that downsizing. Now, Mr. McFeely's argument is that Republicans cut too many taxes, right? And, and, and the state's budget pain wouldn't be as severe as it is right now if Republicans hadn't passed income tax cuts and oil tax reform specifically uh now i don't i don't know why democrats think this is going to be a convincing argument at this point democrats have been carping about income tax and corporate income taxes and tax cuts for big oil and everything for one election cycle after another and it hasn't done them a lot of good i I just i just don't know that north Dakotans are buying into that argument but since it's something that we're probably going to be hearing a lot about again, I think it's worth addressing. And there, there are a few points to make about it. One point is that the revenue situation in the state of North Dakota needs to be put into some context. Because while we are certainly down in the current biennium so far, and the latest numbers for G- January just came out uh, not that long ago, while we are certainly significantly down, I think it's something like 27 28% down, in revenues from last biennium it's worth remembering we're still like up roughly a billion dollars from the last pre pre oil boom biennium to date through january comparing to the same date in those previous bienniums my point of that is that we are coming down from peak like historic highs and i have created a graph if you want to look at this because it's it's really it's it's hard it's hard with my voice and my words to illuminate this for you in a way that the graph can. So if you go to sayanythingblog.com, I've got a post up about it. There's a graph in that post. I post that graph just about every month when the new revenues come out, uh, an updated version of that graph. And basically what you see is just how historic, how just completely outside of outside of normal, um, the oil boom, you know, from the last, the previous two bienniums, which which encompass sort of the, the four-year span roughly of the oil boom just how historically abnormal they were in the state of north dakota i mean we had so much revenue and this is just general fund revenue this isn't even the special fund i mean remember there's only about 300 million dollars of direct oil tax revenues that go into the general fund the rest of that goes into special funds and by the way we increase spending a lot out of special funds as well but the point is revenue was crazy and the other point for that is is while you know everybody's feeling like like the bottom has fallen out of the revenue picture in the state of North Dakota now, we are still at like historic highs 
right? Like the only two biennium to the only two biennium to beat the current biennium we're in in terms of revenue are the last two, the oil boom. We are still up a billion dollars over the last pre-oil boom revenue. We are still taking in significantly more revenue than we were before the oil boom, right? So I don't know that that the state is going to fall back down to that level of of pre-oil boom revenues. You know, we may be, and it's hard to tell, we may be at the new normal. And it's it's really a pretty remarkable thing because not only did we take a hit when, you know, the bottom sort of fell out of oil prices, we took a hit when the bottom fell out of crop prices, and we're still not back down to pre-oil boom levels. It's pretty remarkable. And that, by the way, despite income tax cuts. It, it, it's really pretty amazing. So the idea that we have a revenue problem, I, I think, just doesn't match the facts. It just it just doesn't. Rather, the, the problem that we have is that our lawmakers, and, and this is an area where, you know, and, and I, I don't know, maybe maybe liberals and Democrats feel uncomfortable criticizing big government budgets, since that tends to be their preference is for, you know, sort of bigger government. Um the criticism that Republicans deserve is for overspending. They built huge, huge spending increases on the backs of boom revenue that was never going to be the new normal. That was never going to – it was not sustainable. That level of revenue was not going to last. Everybody knew it was going to run out one day, but they spent the money anyway. And so what we need now is, is not reform to the tax code. What we need now is a spending correction. I'll talk more about it after the break, and I'd love to hear from you if you think I'm right or wrong, but I, I don't know. I look at the math. I look at the numbers, and what I see is a state that spent too much money during an oil boom and now needs a correction in spending, not in revenue, because our revenue is still above where we were pre-oil boom levels. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back after this. Don't go away. Report here on WDAY 701-293-9000-888-970-9329 talking about the budget situation and this argument that if Republicans hadn't reduced taxes so much that the budget situation wouldn't be as bad as it is right now and I would I would point out too by the way uh, and I wrote about this at sayanythingblog.com I think the papers picked it up too um, another argument I would make about that if we look at the specific taxes first of all the oil tax changes that the legislature passed in 2015 have not cost the state a single penny in lost revenues as a matter of fact it has had the effect so far because oil prices have remained in the tank it has had the effect so far of being a very large tax increase on the oil industry because what part of what the legislature got rid of or what they did get rid of was an oil tax trigger 
that kicked in and and waived the state's extraction tax when oil prices were below the trigger level. Well, they've been below that they were below the trigger trigger level for all of 2016. They're still below the trigger level. Um, from January of 2016 to now, had the legislature not acted, the oil industry would pay zero in taxes, nothing. Because the legislature acted, they lowered the top rate, but they got rid of the trigger exemption. And because of that, the oil industry has paid hundreds of millions of dollars in additional taxes. And I think that's a good thing. I think long term, because eventually oil prices are going to come back. In fact, a lot of people are already thinking 2017 is going to be a, a bit of a rebound year for the oil industry in the state. We'll see. But overall, I, I think that was a change to a, a better sort of tax code for both the state and the industry. Now, I, you know, I, I know it's a convenient political talking point because it's big oil and people get wrapped around the axle about big oil. But it was good. It was good tax policy. You get rid of an exemption. You lower the top rate a little bit. Boom. And the legislature, by the way, uh, this session uh, wants to uh, you know get rid of the top trigger because I think it, it could be at eleven percent if it's over ninety dollars a barrel. It's at I think it's ten percent if it's under ninety dollars a barrel. I think they just want to pin it at ten percent. That sounds good to me. To me, flat tax rates are the best. This trigger stuff based on price or whatever. It's needlessly complicated for the state. It's needlessly complicated for the industry. Pick a rate. Let's go with it. So that's that. The other problem is that, you know, the reason why we saw this dramatic drop in revenues wasn't because of tax cuts. It was because all the economic activity that was driving that revenue went away because oil prices fell and crop prices fell. There's not a lot the state of North Dakota can do about oil prices. There's not a lot the state of North Dakota can do about crop prices. What we can control, however, is our tax code. And to me, what makes us more resilient, because we are such a commodity-based economy, whether it's energy or whether it's it's agriculture, because we are such a commodity-based economy, it makes a lot more sense to have a low tax code, right? Because we talk about it all the time, needing to, um, you know, economic be economically diverse right and i agree with that i i think our ag industry is great i think our energy industry is great but we need more and the more we have the more resilient we're going to be and so to me lowering those tax rates makes us more resilient because it when when prices go low when when crop prices go low when oil prices go low those lower tax rates means it's more likely that businesses are going to stay here it means it's less likely that they're going to leave Right, because we're keeping those tax those tax burdens low, raising those tax burdens. You know, if anything, is going to be an inhibition to that industry or those businesses or whatever returning. Not to mention an inhibition to other types of businesses outside of agriculture and outside of industry wanting to move to our state and do business. Why would why would they want to do that? Why would we want to do that? To me, lower taxes is best. And, you know, we, I, I, I think the state is, again, going back to the revenue picture, I think the state is collecting more than enough revenue to sustain the amount of government that we need. I know it's a painful process right now, but that was a result of overspending. We grew government too much during the boom era. We shouldn't have gone so far, but we did, and now we have to undo that mistake, and it's painful, and Republicans deserve blame for that. And, and by the way, j just to illustrate which side of this argument most North Dakota voters are, keep in mind 
what were the pillars of Governor Doug Burgum's election campaign, both during the primary when he took on Republican challenger uh, Attorney General Wayne Stengem and State Representative Rick Becker, the Republican primary he won easily, and during the general election when he defeated uh, Democratic challenger Marvin Nelson. His argument during both of those election times was that North Dakota overspent, that there was runaway spending from the quote-unquote good old boys club in Bismarck, and that he wouldn't, wouldn't raise taxes. Those were the two big parts of his campaign. We're spending too much. We don't need to raise taxes. That's it. That was his campaign. He won in a landslide, and I think that's what North Dakotans want to see in Bismarck. We spent too much money, and now we need to fix the problem. And, by the way, the people who, who are to blame for the spending the money are Republicans. Now, I believe that if Democrats were in office, they would have spent even more, but they weren't, and I'm not going to blame them for something they didn't do. Republicans did it, and they deserve the blame. So that's where we're at. And it's, it's, it's really not that difficult if you look at the math. Now, a lot of people don't understand this about the budget because most of what North Dakotans understand about the budget is what they read in the newspapers. And a lot of times those reports, because it's, it's very hard in words to give you a, an in-context impression of what the situation is. But I'm telling you, North Dakota has come out of the oil boom era with more in revenues general fund revenues, sales tax, income taxes, etc., than we were getting before the oil boom. The problem is not revenue. The problem is spending. That's the problem that's got to get fixed. And there's a lot of areas in government that are just going to have to take a haircut. And it's going to be tough. All right, we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk about uh, the state's drug immunity laws. Defense attorney Brian Toy is going to be on with me. You can call in 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Report here on the Rob Report, WDAY AM 970. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. That's a toll-free number. You can email me to talk at WDAY.com or tweet me at Rob Port. All right, so this, this is a serious issue. Uh, in 2015, to the legislature's credit, they passed uh, a bill aimed at giving some immunity to people who may have been using illegal drugs who find themselves in an emergent medical situation. Uh, and, and basically what happens is if you are, you know, have, have, say, overdosed or you have a friend who was overdosed and you go to the hospital, generally uh, you're not going to face criminal charges for that. Uh, and, and the idea is... Let's prioritize saving people's lives over getting drug arrests, which I 100% agree with. 
Uh, I, I think it was good policy. Unfortunately, as it's been implemented, we have noticed a problem. So here to speak with me about that is defense attorney uh, Brian Toy. Uh, Mr. Toy, thank you for uh, your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, tell us what's going on with this law. And, and I guess we should start. Your involvement is you had you represented some folks who were in this situation and ended up getting charged and and get jail sentences in federal court uh, after t- you know trying to help somebody get medical assistance in the hospital. So maybe first explain to us what happened. Well, in that case, um, it was a situation where uh, a boyfriend and girlfriend were sharing drugs. The girlfriend shared it with her boyfriend. The boyfriend overdosed and called my client, who came over there, administered Narcan to try and revive the individual. It didn't work. They called 911. Uh, emergency personnel came. Law enforcement came. They cooperated with law enforcement, which is required under the law right now. And both the girlfriend and my client ended up getting arrested, charged originally in state court. So it was city of Fargo police uh, arresting them, charging them with felonies. And later on, the feds picked it up, and they were actually both charged in federal court. Those cases are now done. They're both um, in prison now, in federal prison, after, after that happened. So... What happened is is that because North Dakota has a state immunity law, did the did the Fargo Police Department hand they handed that off then to? I mean, because they made the arrest, did they? Well, I mean, was they, that was that what happened? I mean, did they just say, well, we can't charge this because of this immunity law. So, feds, you take it over. No, the they had every right under the current immunity law to arrest them because of how the law was written, and that's the issue that I have is that the law. Okay. The law doesn't protect, I think, who the legislature's intended it to protect. And it mostly comes down to the definition of who is a deliverer of drugs. You know, the law doesn't provide immunity to anybody who delivers drugs. And that can include anything as simple as sharing. So a group of friends get together. One of them has drugs. Um, Somebody overdoses when they're in the room together sharing. Whoever shared those drugs is now a deliverer under the law. And so the immunity law doesn't apply to them at all. I, the intent, when I have spoken to lawmakers about this, they say that the intent was to, because they didn't want to give immunity to drug dealers, right? Right. Which I think most of us would think of as they're manufacturing the drug or they're buying the drug from a manufacturer and they're out selling it to lots of people to turn a profit. That was not somebody the legislature wanted to give immunity to. But what you're saying is that the definition of a deliverer of drugs is so broad, it includes not just that person that most of us think of when we think of a, of, a, of a drug dealer, but also, hey, I have some drugs. I'm going to share it with you at this party. Now I'm a deliverer, and I don't get immunity if somebody overdoses and I try to get them medical attention. Right. And what most people don't realize is the, the drug use community is a pretty tight-knit group. You know, it's, you know, hey, I've got something. Can you share it with me? Yeah, I'll get some next week. We'll share. You know, under the law, those when you know when you share it with somebody or maybe you help somebody out this week and they'll help you out next week you're you're a deliverer of controlled substances under the law subject to felony charges even something you know even if there's really no no money exchange you know hey help me out this week I'll help you out next week if you share with them you give them drugs and that's what the law says give then you're technically a drug dealer under the law and you're not subject to that immunity and that's what you know the big push that being trying to be made right now in the legislature is to cut out an exception in the law, at least for the sharing, you know, 
sharing drugs for no no money exchanged um, because right now it doesn't cover that. And, and and the most important thing is is that the users in our community know that they know that it doesn't cover them, and that's why they're not calling the police. I, I think when there's, there's also, an overdose. Yeah, there, there's also been an overarching feeling among I, th- I think it would be fair to say most of the lawmakers that we want to look more towards treatment as opposed to criminalization for drugs not that we want to just outright legalize drugs but the approach being let's try to get people well versus let's try to put the maximum number of people in jail i i, I think that is something that they are pushing to and it seems to me like these the policies this policy and that agenda go hand in hand so if we've got a situation where the definition is so abroad i mean to me this almost makes it seem like the immunity is unworkable because i don't i and i'm not a drug user myself but i guess my understanding of it is that most people aren't doing drugs by themselves most of them are sharing the drugs with each other that i think is probably going to make anybody in that situation so hey so-and-so's having an overdose or has some problems let's go to the hospital it almost feels like nobody's going to have immunity under that broad of a definition. It, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you, and that's, and that's why we're seeing the situations that we're seeing, particularly in Fargo. I mean, the number of overdose deaths in the last year is just staggering. It's really, it's really something that needs to be addressed. I mean, if, that, if there were that many deaths by any other cause, we would be making changes right now. And, and I think that, you know, unfortunately... Because they, you know, they enacted the law just two years ago, I'm not seeing as big of a push as I'd like to as far as, you know, let's make this change. We need to make this work now. You know, it, it was incredible foresight when they passed it in 2015, but it, because it was before most of these opioid deaths occurred, and you would hope that it would have covered it, but unfortunately it's not. What about the other, and, and I guess I mentioned this at the beginning, but we also have the reality that the federal government has its own drug code and its own enforcement. I mean, is there a situation where, uh, is, you know, state officials could say, well, you know, we're not allowed to because we have this immunity law, but here, federal government, uh, here's the case, uh, go after them. I mean, is that a possibility, too? Because the state obviously can't do anything to restrain the federal government. So how, how does that work? Well, that, that's completely correct. What I think could happen is I think they could just completely remove the requirement that you cooperate with law enforcement. The law requires you to cooperate with all medical personnel and law enforcement. And, you know, in the case that I had, if they wouldn't have cooperated with law enforcement, law enforcement would not have the information that was then used against them in the federal case, particularly when it comes to the overdose. And it's important to know, in the case we had, the overdose did not result in death. The individual um, survived the overdose. But under the law, especially under the federal law, it makes no difference. The penalty is the same whether they live or die in that situation. And so they use the information from that 911 call to really jack up the federal charges to much more than they would have been without it and so if you remove the cooperating part then i don't think there would really be anything for the feds to pick up on in that situation because there would be no report to law enforcement to be forwarded they could just cooperate with medical personnel make sure the person lives because that's what we want and you know that you know obviously the flip side to that is that well we might not get this arrest for sharing drugs but i think that that's a small price to pay to save a life well, I do, too. I, I think lives are more important than arrests. And, and maybe, I don't know, I mean, maybe if, if, if we can help somebody survive that situation, maybe that's the wake-up call that will 
get them to uh, to turn away from from an unhealthy and, and illegal, frankly, lifestyle. If if you were, and I, I know you've hit on some of this, but I mean, if you had your way, if you were d- dictator of the state of North Dakota for a day, and you could craft this policy any way you wanted, how would you do it? Well, as I said earlier, I'd get rid of the requirement that you cooperate with law enforcement. Um, there's some little things in there um, in the initial heading. You know, it, it doesn't apply to teenagers if you read the law literally, which is bizarre. Um, and I would I would make a specific statement in there that it doesn't apply to those who are sharing drugs, so that you know carve out an exception to the definition of delivery, so that it wouldn't apply to people who give it away, who share it. Um, and then I would make a strong public service campaign to let everybody know, because it really doesn't matter what the law says, how I would interpret it, how the police would interpret it. If we don't have the trust of the use community, they're not going to call 911. And so I think, there, I think there needs to be that change, and there really needs to be strong public service that, hey, if you have an overdose, we just want to save that person's life, you're going to be fine, and get the trust back so that people start calling. Well, I think those sound like some common sense proposals. Um, are, are there any, and I, I guess I haven't tracked at the legislature too closely, are you, are you aware of any effort to fix some of this down at the legislature this session? I, I've sent out um, my position on it to a number of senators, and they've just basically said they're working on it. My understanding is they're trying to tag it in with some other bills to try and get it through this session. Um, sure. But I, I haven't heard any specifics from the people that I've, I've contacted. Well, I would hope it would be something that could get progress. I mean, I think we have a governor right now who takes this very seriously. I think we do have a majority of lawmakers who, you know, clearly they passed this law to begin with, although maybe it, in its application there were some unintended uh, loopholes. But I got to feel that, the you know, the political support for that is there. I guess it's just a question of timing. But, Mr. Toy, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. And uh, good luck. Keep us in the, on the, uh, in the loop on this in the future. Thank you for your time. Thanks. That's a Brian Toy. He's a defense attorney, and and again, I, I I think, I think the overall shift on drug policy in the state of North Dakota is, is changing from being sort of a you know throw the book at them, put them in jail approach. Which, to be fair, some of that needs to exist, but also a focus on hey, let's try to get people past this. Let's try to get them help. Let's try to get them to kick the habit and, and maybe it's not going to work for all of them and maybe they're going to go on and they're going to commit crimes and maybe jail will eventually be the right place for them but not all of them and if there's some if we could save their lives if we could turn them into something help them choose to be something better that's a win more to come straight ahead 701-293-9000-888-970-9329 email talk at wday.com don't go away Welcome back. Last uh, segment, we're going to wrap up the show. Jay Thomas show coming up next. Stay tuned for that. This, of course, is the Rob Report on WDAY. 
The uh, just for a quick pipeline update, I thought this was kind of rich. So the um, there was a hearing today in Washington D.C. before the federal court, uh, Judge James Bosberg, and the No Dapple activists and their attorneys are asking for a uh, an injunction against completing the pipeline, which at this point I think it's just days away from being completed. Um. And, and they're asking for an injunction, and they're asking for it on, on religious grounds, saying that the um, the pipeline would, you know, be disruptive spiritually, would spiritually degrade the water. Because I, I guess, and I'm reading from a Reuters report here, I guess the judge questioned how the water could be harmed since the water is being built under the lake. <laughs> Excuse me. And their argument was that the the pipeline even just being near the water would spiritually degrade it, which, of course, is just, I, I don't know, it's just fantasy land ridiculous. Uh, the judge says he's going to rule on this, uh, what do he say, I think March 8th, um, or March 7th, excuse me. Uh, and, I, and, and really, I mean, we're at a point with the construction, I mean, that is almost at a point where the pipeline company could be flowing oil through the pipe by that point. That's how close they are to being done. As a matter of fact, the judge said, you know, if you're gonna, if you're at a point where you could start pumping oil, give me 48 hours notice so I can get my order out. Uh, I don't think that this latest legal gambit has much of a chance for succeeding. But I, I did want to make a point. I mean, I, I think it's awfully rich. These folks talking about spiritually degrading the water, given what they did in the protest camps. I, I mean, you want to talk about spiritually degrading? You know, having this spiritual connection to the land and the water. Which, by the way, I absolutely believe most Native Americans have. I believe that is a very important part of their culture. But the folks who were in those camps, who left hundreds of truckloads of garbage behind them, give me a break. It's going to spiritually degrade the water. Give me a break. I mean, if, if, if that's the argument, there are already eight pipelines crossing the Missouri River upstream from the Lake Oahe Reservoir. I mean, if, if, if that's the argument, that they could you know, assert this religious right not to have industry happen near water, then how can we build any, like, rail crossing across the river? We wouldn't be able to build any pipelines. We wouldn't be able to build any highways. I mean, if, 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 if the federal judge granted this and said oh you're right given the nature of of you know the, the history of the native americans having roamed all over the united states we wouldn't be able to do industry anywhere progress in the united states of america would grind to a halt i mean let's let's keep this in perspective this is the activists throwing everything that they could possibly find against the wall trying to get something to stick and it ain't gonna happen the pipeline's gonna be completed and that's to the good because you know what we all use oil every one of us even the protesters use oil there is not a product out there that can replace all the things that we use oil for while simultaneously maintaining the quality of life that we've all come to expect there's nothing oil is irreplaceable at this point that might not always be the case. We may come up with something else. But for now, we all got to use it. And if we're all going to use it, 
why not build the safest way possible to transport it to market? Unless you're a whacked-out political extremist, which is what the No Dapple movement is. Anyway, I just thought that was funny. You can get it up updated about it at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Congressman Kevin Kramer on for his weekly town hall tomorrow. Tune in for that. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. Hey.